Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, John Jance is a marketing consultant with over 30 years' experience and has pioneered the concept of duct tape marketing. But what is it? He joins us now on the phone to tell us more. John, what is duct tape marketing all about? Well, so essentially it's a metaphor for my approach that, that marketing is a system that starts with strategy before tactics. Um, and then once we ha- have defined uh, an effective strategy for who your ideal client is and what your different point of differentiation is, then we could surround it with the tactics that, that make sense uh, for the, the way that you want to uh, bring that strategy to the market. So that's essentially what duct tape marketing is. And before we discuss it in detail, you've been in business now as a marketing consultant for over 30 years. What have been the major changes that you've witnessed over that period? In a lot of ways, fundamentally, nothing's really changed but the platforms. Uh, I mean, what, what our job as marketers uh, is to, you know, to get somebody who has a need to know, like, and trust us enough to give us their money in, in exchange for a product or service, you know, fundamentally that's the same game. We just now have uh, different tools. And so in a lot of ways, I, I, I feel like what's changed the most about in, uh, marketing is, is simply the way people buy. Now, the opening part of your book is entitled The Duct Tape Foundation, The Way to Sticky Marketing, Help Them Know, Like and Trust You More. So how can you make prospective clients like you and trust you more, John? <laughs> well, it really starts with them, you know, you understanding what their problem is and, and you expressing uh, that, that you understand who they are and what their problem is and, and then having a promise to solve that and to demonstrate that, that you do indeed keep your promises, that you do indeed have others who, who trust you uh, and, and have come to you to solve their problems. I mean, that's a great deal of, of the role today of, of content, uh, quite frankly, is, is uh, getting people that, uh, that, you know, that read something or find something that addresses the problem that they're experiencing, and then getting them to your website where they can see that, that other people do indeed, you know, case studies, testimonials, things of that nature. So, you know, that's a really big part of, of this idea of, of building know, like, and trust as part of the journey. In many ways today, it, it, it comes from, uh, from content. And of course, social proof, as you say, is very important, those testimonials. So is it fundamental in that respect that your website should be integrating those third-party review sites as opposed to just listing a free range of testimonials and references on it? Yeah, I think I think it actually is. Um, I, I, some people don't know the difference, but many people realize that, hey, those third-party reviews do have a little more credibility. And the, the good news is that uh, uh, integrating with Google reviews and Facebook reviews and even some of the, the industry-specific re- review sites now has gotten pretty easy where, where those things can automatically be brought in using plugins, say, in WordPress and things like that. So, um, so I think it's absolutely important uh, that people see not only that you're receiving receiving good reviews, but you're receiving lots of them and you're receiving them frequently. Now, throughout the book, you refer to the small business marketing system. What does this system comprise of? It starts first with strategy before tactics. And what, uh, what that ultimately means is that, that before we do anything, we have to identify who makes an ideal client or customer for your business. And by virtue of doing that, who does not? <laughs> uh, also, we have to identify what really is uh, your core message. What problem um, is your ideal client really trying to solve? It's not your product or service. It's, it's really something that has to do with them. 
Uh, we define those elements uh, very clearly, and then we use content really as the voice of that strategy to guide people along what something we call the, the marketing hourglass, which is our uh, version of the customer journey. Uh, we talked about a couple of the stages of that. Um, we have to design our, our system around moving people from know to like to trust, then to try, buy, repeat, and refer. Okay, that sounds really good. So talk us through a practical example of that in action. Sure. So a lot of cases, the, the coming to know you happens because we have posted in, in Facebook a great article about a very specific problem. So somebody comes to our website. Um, what do they expect to see there? Well, obviously, they expect to see that content. But then uh, does the site load quickly? Uh, is it secure? If I fill out a form, you know, do, does what happens you know, to the response there? So those are those are some of the elements that we would put in each of those boxes is, is that, you know, the idea behind this buyer's journey is, is not that we are dictating how it happens. What we are trying to do is design how the, the journey that this buyer wants to go on. So, John, we have all heard that content is king, but how do we ensure that the content we provide is both informative and engaging for our clients? Well, when somebody is just coming to know or somebody's just looking for somebody who might be able to solve their problem, well, they have a different need. They have different questions, different objectives. And then as they move along and they start thinking, yeah, you're, you're really the – I like what you're saying. You're the person that can help me. Well, obviously, we need different content uh, that now explains to them how we might solve their specific problem or who else's problem we have solved. And then, quite frankly – uh, and this is the part that a lot of people miss. After somebody becomes a customer, we need to think in terms of what, what content is going to ensure they have a great experience, that's going to ensure that they use our product or our service, that we can sell them more, that, that, that we actually use content to help generate referrals. So I think if you look through at all of those stages, you can start to then say, okay, I need content for each of these buckets, but those, that content in each of those buckets has a different job to do. And of course, John, there is an emerging trend here called voice search, where instead of somebody typing a text-based search into Google, they're going to do it by voice through Siri or Alexa or whatever else. How does that change the game of marketing? Well, I think it changes it um, initially for certain sectors. Uh, you know, if you're a restaurant, if you're a retail business, uh, we're in the first part of, of 2021 and and there are a lot of people that are searching for local businesses, you know, for in their community to make a purchase right now. And they're doing it increasingly, as you mentioned, on Siri, but but increasingly in automobiles uh, that, that are going to be equipped with with search engines. And so being able to have accurate data, being able to show up, it, it, it is still essentially a search engine optimization uh, play, uh, because if you're not showing up currently on searches for you know, restaurant near me or, you know, business of a certain type uh, near me, if you're not already showing up in search engines on, on the desktop, well, you're probably not going to show up in, in voice either. So really the focus should be on, on that desktop, uh, get on page one, get in the maps pack, and then some of the voice search will actually happen. And is it critical that business will have more video content and voice-based, let's say podcast content, in order for them to achieve better rankings on voice search. You know, the, the difficult thing about that is right now the voice searches are, are high intent to do something. Uh, we aren't yet at a point where we're researching, uh, you know, a type of 
business or a type of solution. We're not we're not typing into Siri. Tell me everything that I need to know about marketing. <laughs> you know, so so I think that uh, maybe that day will come. But I think it's still the printed word, uh, voice and video in combination uh, need to be there. And I, I would say this wasn't really part of your question, but I would say we need uh, many small businesses uh, should be investing more in video. Now, of course, pay-per-click advertising is essential for today's digital world. But for those who are operating on a limited budget, how can this medium be optimized from a marketing perspective? Yeah, I, I think it. You know, the the challenge is that some of the best searches, the by that I mean the the, the highest intent to buy something, are, are actually people you know that are clicking on ads. So so if if you know my water pipe breaks and I need a plumber to come, I'm you know I'm searching and I'm clicking on an ad probably because that's the thing that Google is showing me first. Because I, I don't really care to take three bids. I need the water to stop. <laughs> and so, um, so what I think businesses need to do if they want to optimize their budget is to, to really get an idea of what are the highest intent, what would be the most profitable searches. Now, obviously, you're going to pay more for those, but you're not going to get just a bunch of clicks that people are just looking and they're, they're kicking the tires. I mean, you, you, you want to focus what budget you have on the things that, that you believe, at least, are going to convert. And in relation to direct marketing strategies, are they now dead in the water as a result of the digital revolution, or do they still play an important role in duct tape marketing? I think they play an important role, and, and there's a couple reasons. Uh, one of the things that, that I believe is that uh, we have to come at people in several directions. They, they, you know, There's all kinds of research that says uh, that, that people need to hear an ad or see an ad or see a business seven, eight, nine, ten times before – you know, it really starts to have impact. Well, I think that that's also true of, of coming at them in different directions as well, meaning radio or, or print or certainly when they turn to a search engine. But I think another thing that direct mail uh, has going for it right now is that um, I don't know about you uh, in your part of the world, but I don't get a lot of mail anymore. I mean, I don't get the amount of, of, of solicitations that I used to uh, in, the, in the mailbox. And so uh, right now, at least, it, it's a decent place to stand out. And of course, social media has become a significant player in the marketing world. But due to the ever-growing amount of channels, many businesses still find it hard to develop an effective social marketing strategy that works for their particular business. So what advice do you have for listeners in that regard, John? Yeah, my, my biggest piece of advice there is figure out the one social media channel that makes the most sense for you. And by that, I mean where, where your people are, where the, the, your ideal clients are, and go deeply there. One of the challenges with social media is it, it's not only that there are so many new platforms to be on. Each of the platforms has gotten more complex. And in order to grab you know, more eyeballs and, and more, you know, sell more ads or whatever it is they do to make their money, uh, they've got you know, 10, 15 different formats. You've got you know, reels and you've got you know, video and you've got live streaming. So it's really gotten tough to, to do well on, you know, try, by scattering yourself. So focus on LinkedIn or focus on Facebook, whichever you know, platform has your um, you know, ideal client in your mind um, and just learn it. Go deep there. Don't scatter yourself. I think it's really good advice because there's so many businesses, John, that believe that they need to be across as many of the leading platforms as possible in what we call here on the show the spray and pray approach to marketing. Now, managing a company's reputation online is no easy feat when faced with reviews and comments about your product or service. How is this best managed, in your opinion, especially when we're dealing in this world of anonymous reviews? Yeah. 
one of the, one of the ways it's managed is is to make sure that you're creating a great experience. Make sure you're following up. Make sure you're doing what you're promised. I mean, that's that's it's hard to fix, you know, if you're not doing that. But then as reviews start to happen, make sure that you have a, a very uh, specific policy of following up. Follow up with good reviews. People want to know that you you appreciate that they said good things. They want to know that you're paying attention. And follow up with also with negative reviews. Uh, but there's a real art to that. A lot of times people uh, think, okay, I'm going to follow up to a negative review and I'm going to tell these people why they're wrong. But, but what you have to think about with a negative review, or I should say what you have to think about with follow-up period, is that that's a public comment. And people care in many ways more about how you respond than they do care about the fact that you got a negative review. So as you write and respond to negative reviews, make sure that you're writing a public response. So, so be very fair. Uh, be very apologetic uh, if, if it calls for that. Uh, be very matter-of-fact. Um, offer to make it good. Uh, you know, swallow your pride in some cases because uh, that you're providing a public service or you're providing a, a, a service uh, to the public, I should say, by your response. Um, and I think a lot of people are very forgiving of – they know you can't be perfect 100 percent of the time, uh, but how you respond is really what's going to mean whether that negative review hurts you or not. It's good advice, John. I'd also now like to talk to you about referral marketing because it can work so well for so many businesses while others find it a challenge to crack. What is the key to its success? Well, I think the key is to first realize that that you know people, even happy customers, um, have to actually have a reason, a motivation. They have to be asked <laughs> in many cases. A, a lot of businesses just assume if we do good work, our customers will talk about us. And that may well be true, but if you want to amplify that good work, you need to create opportunities for them. You need to create events. You need to do routine mailings. Uh, you need to you need to introduce the idea of referrals, you know, all, all early and often, uh, so that that people understand that that if you do good work, um, you want to, sh- you know, you it makes sense for them to share uh, the results they got uh, with, with friends, neighbors, and colleagues. So so make it uh, something that you focus on. Keep uh, keep the idea of referrals top of mind, um, and and what you'll find is uh, that your good work will be rewarded uh, with uh, with you know, by, by amplifying your referability. And of course, referrers in 2021 is mainly focused on digital influencers. What advice have you got for businesses that want to engage with digital influencers? Well, you know, that's a tough one because a, a lot of people see the, the YouTube channel person or something with millions of followers and they think, oh, if I could only get them to, you know, to, to talk about, or, or they think it's, you know, it's silly. You know, like, why would I, you know, ever be able to appeal to them? My advice is, uh, is to think in terms of what, what might be called micro-influencers. You know, that person that has a million followers, and, and a lot of times you'll see people that are, that are you know, famous uh, for, for one thing or another, but usually it's for being on social media. Well, those folks are, they have everybody beating on their door trying to get them to promote. And, and in a lot of cases, they promote things they don't even care about or believe in. Find that person that's got 200 or 2,000 followers who are very dedicated to everything that they say. And in many cases, those folks will actually be far better uh, for you to engage with uh, than trying to go after, uh, you know, A-list or, you know, giant followings. John, I'm interested to hear your thoughts in relation to the importance of a tagline for your business. How relevant is that today? And what advice have you got for businesses in terms of how to create 
an ideal one for their own business. So I think it's extremely important and extremely relevant as a way to help you stand out from everybody else who says they do what you do. But I think it's also a, a place where you know people go horribly wrong. I mean, I mean, I've worked with tens of thousands of business owners now, and most of them spend their time creating taglines that sound good about them. The way to create an, uh, an important tagline or core message is to make it all about promising to solve your ideal client's biggest problem. And the best way is to find out how, what that is or, or how to articulate it is to talk to them. Uh, we interview eight to ten uh, of our clients' clients every single time we, we start an engagement because we hear from them quite often the, the little things, the stories, uh, the, the things that they really appreciate. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, we had a tree service uh, that we were doing work with, and they were very proud of how long they'd been in business and all the family-owned. and all the, Those were all nice things, and that's what they were using as their tagline. We interviewed their customers, and every single one of them said, what's great is they show up when they say they will, and they clean up the job site. I mean, that's the problem that people have quite often when they're hiring somebody to come to their home to do work, is they don't show up when they say they, they do a sloppy job. So that became uh, a big part of their messaging because that's the, the their, their five-star customers that were leaving great reviews were saying, that's the problem you solve for us. Finally, John, in your book, you talk about turning clients into partners. How does that work and how can it be achieved? Sure. So uh, a couple things uh, that, that I think... Uh, I'll expand on there. So, so many of your clients, in in many cases, uh, depending on what type of industry you're in, uh, can can be great sources of referrals. And so, uh, bringing them together, uh, doing events for them, uh, you know, maybe in many cases, you know, many of my clients are small businesses, giving them an opportunity to network with each other. Uh, can, I think in many cases uh, will will not only lead to other opportunities and certainly to referrals, uh, it just increases your value uh, with them. But I'll also expand that to to any pretty much anybody that has your same ideal client. In many cases, there's some great opportunities for some strategic relationships where where you could provide a service or or even uh, provide education uh, to someone's clients. Uh, for example, I you know as a marketing consultant, uh, a lot of banks and accounting firms and law firms that, that have small businesses love it when I could come in and talk to their clients about. Uh, about marketing and marketing their small businesses. So uh, there, there are many, many opportunities, I think, for you to partner with, with both your clients and with other uh, non-competing businesses out there. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was John Jans from Duct Tape Marketing. And I'd like to thank John for sharing his expertise with us this morning. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.